Few comments again from some ayat of Quran, same ayat of Quran and some hadith, and then today we're going to move into some very practical tips and practical steps. First practical thing I will mention that a marriage is about two things commitment and investment. Marriage is about two things. Now yesterday we did in light of Quran and Sunnah and Sirah. Today again we're going to be using Quran, Sunnah and Sirah but now we're going to be talking about a bit more practical strategies. Marriage is about commitment and investment. So apparently it's a saying in England which I had not heard of before but that they say that weddings, wedding rings are the world's smallest handcuffs. Allah Akbar. Ajeeb country you have. Wedding rings are the world's smallest handcuffs that by wearing or by making the other wear the wedding ring they're actually putting the handcuffs of the marriage bond onto one another but that's what it means it is an agreement it's a commitment that's why in our deen this is called aqd nikah aqd aqd means contract of marriage bond of marriage commitment of marriage agreement to marriage it's an aqd and literally in the Arabic language aqd means knot and that's why in English I know we say tie the knot so actually the concept is there in the Arabic well it is a knot that was supposed to be that once it was tied it should never come undone a knot that you tie that you should never untie it with your own hand that is aqtinikah that is marriage so that is a commitment another way people say to this in English is that you have to be all weather friends as opposed to what they say fair weather friends that's what they have in the English vows of marriage that in sickness and in health and this and that and the other but then at the end they made a big mistake and they said till death do us part for as in our deen you will never part <laughs> and some of you may be frightened by that prospect so there's a joke in Pakistan that there was a Pathan and there was an Alim and he told them that you will have your wife in Jannah and he got angry <laughs> yes he got angry Obviously, this is his emotional state, but I mean that he didn't. What type of jannah is it then? Means I'll explain Urdu for those of you who appreciate the Urdu. Because if you be boy or boy, you'll get to become jannah. Right? So that was a misunderstanding. Actually, the husband will be purified in order to enter jannah, and the wife will be pure to enter jannah. So we will not be either of us will not be there with our flaws and our shortcomings. We will be there as pure beings, maybe the way we should have been. Allah Ta'ala will make us like that. Perhaps in Jannah we will realize what life really should have been like. Then we have been amazed, Allah Ta'ala, you give us eternity like this. We are so foolish, we could have, should have just lived 80 years like this. <laughs> and then we will realize that the deen you sent us, Alhamdulillah, deen of Islam, Allah Ta'ala, that you sent us is so kamil that would we have followed the deen, we would have lived like this on that earth. Yes? Not with the bounties and not with the all those blessing, not with the things of Jannah, but in terms of the feelings. Feelings. Here, that will be a whole other topic. So, all were the friends. Friends forever. This means commitment. 
And the second thing, major word, is investment. So we'll come back to that investment part in a moment. A few more comments I wanted to mention about this ayah that we had done yesterday. Three words, if you remember, in the ayah. لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا سَكُونَ And Allah Ta'ala muwadda and rahmah and affection and mercy. Affection and mercy. One aspect of that muwadda, muwadda and rahmah, some mufassirun have joined these two, that in the early stage of the marriage, the husband and wife are able to be together because of the muwadda, because of the affection they have, whether you want to call that the honeymoon or continuing honeymoon. But later as they go older, then that affection is not always a way that they can just, um, the affection is not always a bond by which they can stay together or make up. So then later on in life, then they need to have rahmah. They need to have mercy with one another. They will not be able to stay together just on the basis of that affection. They will not be able to make up with one another just on the basis of that affection. So they need to have muwadda and rahmah. So some ulama of Qur'an have taken that sequentially. That in the beginning they have muwadda and later they will have to have rahmah. Another way you can understand this is that what they say in English that you can give love, you can you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. What are the two things Allah Taala is telling us in Quran that if you want a marriage based on love, what are the two things that you have to be giving? Mawadda and rahmah. You must be giving affection and mercy to the other person. So like they say in English, you cannot you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So it means if you love it must be with giving, and to love a person, what should a husband and wife be giving one another in order to establish and maintain that love that is Mawadda and Rahmah. That is affection and mercy. So if we keep giving one another that, then we will be able to keep loving one another. And another way they took this was a rabd. As long as the husband and wife keep giving one another mawadda and rahmah, they will keep having sukoon. So the sukoon is dependent on the mawadda and rahmah. And once they stop giving one another that affection and mercy, they will lose having that sukoon. And this is then a way for us to understand how how did the downfall of the marriage start. We left ayah of Qur'an. We left doing the affection giving and we stopped doing the mercy giving so we lost the sukkot. You can never find, Quran is eternal truth, you can never find a husband and wife who have muwadda with each other, have rahmah with each other and don't have sukkot. Impossible. Impossible. So this is the eternal truth of Quran al-Kareem, the power of Quran al-Kareem. This another important teaching, now going back to the word sukkot, if you flip the order, not change the order of Qur'an, but flip your understanding, where will you get sukoon? You will get sukoon not out there in the streets, not out there in the office place, not on the screen. You will get sukoon by giving mawadda and rahmah to your spouse. Anybody who thinks that I will get sukoon by being affectionate to the secretary, by being merciful to the employee, by being friendly to the neighbor, or etc., etc., Anybody who thinks like that will never ever have sukoon. The only way we can get sukoon is by giving and receiving mawadda and rahmah from one spouse to another. That is the only way a person can get sukoon. You will find nothing other than disappointment outside the home. 
and you will only be able to find sukoon inside your own home. Then, another ayah that we had done yesterday was, Antum libasun lahum wa humna libasun lukum. Antum libasun lahum, that you, O husbands, are like a garment to them, your wives. Hunna libasun lukum, and they are like a garment to you. So, one other meaning of this is that clothing is made up of threads. And so Allah Subhanahu used the word libas, that marriage will not be held together by chains of forceful obedience or fighting or argument. No, marriage is like a libas. Libas is made up of threads that are sewn together. So a marriage is kept together by thousands of threads. Each one sews the husband and wife together. And as they live with one another through the years, they just keep getting more and more threads. So by the time they have their 25th or 50th anniversary, they should have been permanently sewn to one another. Allah Akbar. Ajit concept Mufassirin came with Quran. It means to those each, what are those threads? What are those so many, many threads? Those are the threads of love. Those were the threads of the affection and mercy. Those were the threads of the commitment and investment. So it means we have to continually be sewing those threads. You can imagine that marriage is a libas, is a fabric that is continually being weaved and woven across the loom, the tapestry, until that marriage ends in this world. Then Allah Ta'ala will make that marriage an eternal fabric for all of eternity. Our Shaykh, Shaykh, Shaykh Wazir Ghulam Habib used to say, that whenever there is love, and wherever there is love between people, then the effect of that love is that the lover views their beloved's fault to be minor. You can change it for you in another way. Whenever love is major, you will view the faults of your beloved to be minor. And whenever the love that you have for her is minor, you will view the faults of your beloved to be major. The more and more love that you have, the less you will find fault in that person. They will appear to you to be minor. Even their major faults will appear to be minor because you have major love for them. And if you have minor love for them, then sometimes even their minor faults will appear to be major. So this is the system Allah Ta'ala was making in marriage. So there is love marriage in Islam. But after nikah. <laughs> so maybe we could rather say in English there is marriage love in Islam. There is no love then marriage. Right? That's what they said in nursery rhyme. I'm remembering things are coming out today that has been fed into me in America. Love, then marriage, then baby carriage. Huh? There was this nursery rhyme. And I can't believe. Ajeeb, what we cannot get out of our memory. Huh? Ajeeb, I think this came up after 30 years. I must have heard this thing when I was a child. Hmm? So no, for us, first marriage, then love, then the baby carriage. Alright? So, Love has to exist in that marriage. So when they have the loving relationship with Muwadda and Rahma, that's also a state of sukoon. You have sukoon when you don't notice the fault. For example, you're sitting in your room and you say, I enjoy my room. And I come in and say, look, there's this crack on the wall there, there's this chipped paint over here. You say, I never even noticed that. <laughs> I didn't even notice those things. And if I keep pointing it out, pointing out, maybe I'll make you base sukoon, I'll eliminate your sukoon. Because I keep pointing out the fault. So one aspect of sukoon is being thus blissfully ignorant, blithely unaware of the faults of the other person, but that takes place when there is love. 
So in love is great, the faults of the other person seem insignificant. But if your love is insignificant for that person, then the faults that they will have will appear great. So the husband and wife must have love for one another. Then some people talk about two points. One is what they call the language of love. Language of marriage is the language of love. So like the language of business is money. The language of marriage is love. It means that the husband and wife should speak to one another with love. They should look at one another with love. They should smile at one another with love. They should speak love-filled words to one another. They should have love-filled isharat, gestures to one another. One Arab poet, he said this in a poem, he said that the husband and wife are such lovers that they have such secret gestures of love between them that even the kiram and katibin cannot understand what is the meaning of these messages and signals and gazes that they gave one another. Allah Yes? That look of love, sometimes it happens, right? The wife walks in the room, she gives you that look and she goes back and you start smiling and nobody knows why you're smiling. Yes? There's a look. So this look and gaze of affection, gesture of affection, isharat. So that's what this is a language. This is a language of communication. And when there's a breakdown in the language of love, then there's a breakdown in communication because marriage only knows the language of love. Mawadda wa rahma. Allah Ta'ala is teaching us the language of marriage. Love and mercy. Affection and compassion. This is the basis of our communication. Then some people talk about the arithmetic of marriage. Math. Math of marriage. What is that? That is that 1 plus 1 equals everything and 2 minus 1 equals nothing. Actually, real math would tell you 1 plus 1 equals 2 and 2 minus 1 equals 1. But the arithmetic of marriage is a bit different. 1 plus 1 equals infinity and 2 minus 1 equals 0. Means that if the husband and wife are together, then they have every single thing. And if from the two of them one gets out, then they end up with nothing. This is what it means to be azwaj, to be paired, to be mates, to be spouses. Alright. Now, some comments from the hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sayyidina Rasulullah the way he was with his family. The way he was with his family. And remember, Sayyidina Rasulullah is that person who is the greatest of all of creation. He is that person who on Miraj, he has seen Jannah. He has been shown the manazal of Jahannam. He's even seen that Akhirah, the Akhirah, the realms of the Akhirah. He has the most love for Allah SWT in his heart. He has the most fear of Allah SWT in his heart. In fact, Sayyidina Rasulullah said in the Hadith to the Sahaba that I fear Allah Ta'ala most from all of you. Means I'm the most fearing of Allah Ta'ala from all of you. But notwithstanding all of this, when Sayyidina Rasulullah was at his home, he had a lot of mawadda and rahmah for his family. Because he was living Quran. That's why Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidina Aisha, she said about him that his khuluq, his khuluq were khuluqul Quran. His attributes were the Quran itself. He was living embodiment of mawadda and rahmah. He had a lot of love, affection, mercy, compassion. You will never have any woman who had as much grace and honor and dignity in her family. And remember Sayyidina Rasulullah was coming. He came into a society, Jahiliya, where women did not have any honor. 
women did not have dignity. The wife was an object, was a commodity, was not getting love and compassion from the husbands in the society. And he changed all of that by being this incredible role model, living example of Qur'an. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah in one hadith he said that this world consists of mata, means the world is just made up of all types of stuff and belongings. But the greatest thing in this world is a pious wife. Sayyidina Rasulullah out of all the things that man could have, I don't want to say, I'm not saying belonging in a negative sense, I'm just translating it as mata. Out of all the things a man can have, Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the greatest thing a man can have is a pious wife. Those who have been blessed and fortunate enough to have one will understand the meaning of this hadith. May Allah Ta'ala bless everyone to have such a one. And may every Allah Ta'ala bless everyone to be such a one. Another hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah said that that woman who passes away, jeep, another type of shahada, that woman who passes, dies, who passes away from this life, in such a hal, such a condition, that she was putting her husband to sleep, and she passed away, Allah Ta'ala will enter into Jannah. Look at the level of how much Allah Ta'ala wants to give a wife who does khidmah, and shows that love and affection, mawadda and rahmah. She is putting her husband to sleep, like women put their babies to sleep, and she dies in that state, so however, she passes away, Allah Ta'ala will enter into her Jannah if death overtook her in such a state. Another day Sayyidina Rasulullah said that that woman who prays five times a day and who fasts in the month of Ramadan and she guards her modesty and chastity and she listens to her husband that woman can enter Jannah from any gate, any bomb that she wants. Any bomb that she wants. Yes, obviously it means obeying the husband when it's within the Sharia. Yes, obviously that's what it means. And another hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah said about this type of obedience, that the wife who is obedient to her husband, then all of the birds in the air make du'a for her. Then he said, and the wind, the air itself makes du'a for her. Allah, how much air is there in this earth? All of the birds in the air and the winds make du'a for her. The very air itself and the winds make du'a for her. All of the fish and all of the oceans make dua for her. All of the angels in the heavenly realms make istighfar for her. Then Sayyidina says, even the sun and the moon make istighfar for her as long as she keeps her husband pleased. Allah Look what our deen is teaching the wife. Look what our Nabi Kareem says is teaching the wife. The wife, the Mashaikh used to tell the men that a man should feel that if he has gotten four blessings, that he has gotten every blessing in this world. Number one is a grateful heart. Number two is a zakir, zakir lisan, a remembering tongue. Number three is a strong body that can undergo mujahida. And number four is a pious wife. All of these things were regard to, uh, now these are things regarding to the wife. So Sayyidina Rasulullah said another thing for a woman to obey her husband, for a woman to obey and listen to her husband, this is for a woman to obey and listen to her husband is the way the wife will become makbul in the law. Makbul means she will be accepted and pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One female Sahabiya 
after she did nikah with a sahaba, sahabi, she came to Sayyidina Rasulullah and he told her, he advised the sahabia after her nikah, he said to her that, look, be careful in, about your relationship with your husband because the way your relationship is with him will determine whether you go to Jannah or go to Jahannam. Allah Akbar, this is Sayyidina training the sahabia, be careful about your relationship with your husband your relationship with him is going to determine whether you go to Jannah or Jahannam. So from this we realize how much Sayyidina Rasulullah has taught the wife that she should have respect and love for her husband. On the other side now, Sayyidina Rasulullah has said to, for the husband how they should be with their wives. This we did for you before that the best of you is the one who is best to his wife. The best of you in Allah Ta'ala's regard is the one who is best to his wife and I am the best of you to his wife. Another hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah gave advice to husbands, some sahaba, and he said you should be good to your wife. Another hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah said that to the sahaba that your khair, your goodness, will, virtue will not be based on your wealth, which is a play on khair, mal is also called khair, on your wealth, nor on how you treat your friends, but rather, what is your relationship with your ahl, relationship with your wife? Allah Akbar. Sayyidina Rasulullah teaching the male sahaba. Then Sayyidina Rasulullah said, uh, in another a textual grammar called another revive the hadith, which was what that the best of you in the eyes of Allah SWT is the one who is best to his wife, and I'm the best of all of you to my wife. And the Prophet then said, so the best of you will be the one who is soft to his wife. Layyid. The one who is soft to his wife. Means he told the Sahaba, how can you become the best? You see, Allah Ta'ala is saying the best of you is the one who is the best to his wife. So how, what does it mean? How do I become best to my wife? So Sayyidina Rasulullah said, the best of you is the one who is soft to his wife. Allah What does that mean in simple English? Soft? What can, can anybody who is harsh and stern, can they be, can you use the Arabic terms for that? Mawadda and rahmah. So the best of you is the one who is the most soft to his wife. Then Sayyidina Rasulullah said that whenever a person, when a husband spends on his wife and their children, this will be counted as sadaqah and it is the best sadaqah. So these were some teachings from the Hadith of the Prophet Then, yesterday we had mentioned some things about affection and love and Sayyidina Rasulullah used to express his affection and show his love and we gave you some examples from so another example from another hadith that many people have taken this hadith in a different sense. Right? They haven't understand the real, real, what we call real raz, nukta, real subtlety in this hadith. That once there were some people in the masjid who were playing around and because Sayyidina Rasulullah some door of his hujra, of his compartment, would open into the masjid. So, she was a young girl at this point and she was looking at them playing in the masjid. Until she got tired. Then Sayyidina came and he stood at the door and he was looking. And she said that I climbed up slightly on the person, leaned on him, slightly climbed up, such that I was standing with him cheek to cheek. And I was also looking. He came also to look and see what I was looking at. And I stood with him standing cheek to cheek. And then the person told her, okay, haven't you seen enough play? Can we go? And Umm Aishwana said that no, I want to keep watching. 
Most people like to take out from this hadith falsely that okay, you can engage in all types of entertainment and frivolity because don't you see, Sayyidina Rasulullah allows. Actually, the reason she didn't want to go was not because she was interested in the game, but was because she was cheek to cheek with Sayyidina Rasulullah She didn't want to let go. She had this opportunity. So actually, she was clasping and clinging to him and that's why she wanted to stay in that position. This is what the Mahathir had written. And today's person, Akal, when they read this hadith, look what they take in a totally different direction. Hmm? We have to understand hadith from Muhaddisin. Don't think that your Akal can be used to understand Bukhari. What is your Akal compared to the nur of the hadith that are in Bukhari? You must understand hadith according to Muhaddisin. This was the understanding of all of the ulama of Ahlul Sunnah of Jamal. It is an aberration today that people think they can understand hadith without Muhaddisin. Where then why do you need, why should there be Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani Why such great people who wrote such great, brilliant, luminous commentaries on the Sahih of Bukhari? Do you want to leave all that scholarship aside and just read the English translation of Bukhari and figure out the meaning for yourself? So, this shows also, this is sunnah between husband and wife, that they should show that affection. So again, affection doesn't always mean that intimacy. Say something. Affection also means this, right? This is a big gap also. This is the mawadda. We're not showing that mawadda beyond the first few months or years of marriage. So we must continue to show this affection. And the wife should show affection to the husband. And some wives have this problem. Now, like I told you, it's a difficult topic for me to talk about, right? Uh, but I would simply say this, that wives... Some wives have this problem. Many wives don't have the problem, mashallah. But some wives have this problem. You shouldn't have this problem. And again, the wife, so at the end yesterday, I strongly reprimanded the other extreme, right? Of loss of haya and holding yourself to an animalistic standard. On the other hand, you have this other extreme. And many times you find this in the wife. That she says, well, you know, I'm just not that type of person. And he always wants me. I'm not a... What do they say? I'm not a huggy, feely, clingy type of person. Who? It doesn't matter what type of person you are. Allah Ta'ala told you in Quran, Mawadda. You have to change who you are and become like the way the Quran wants you to be. That's called Islam. That's called Tisneem. That's called submission. Where is the submission if you keep saying, but I'm not that type of person, I'm not that type of person, I'm not that type of person. That philosophy is exactly against the whole philosophy of Islam, which is submission. Salam means peace. Taslim means submission. Islam means to create peace through submission. Islam doesn't mean peace. Salam means peace. Taslim means submission. Islam, Babi Ifal, to create the mother. Islam means to create peace through submission. You're going to get the sukoon when you submit to Mawadda and Rahma. You cannot say, I'm not like that, I don't feel like that, I'm not in the mood. You can't say that. You're not allowed to say that. Now I'll just end with another ishara. There is no such thing as marital rape in Islam. There's no such concept. We cannot think like that. The wife is required to be a person of mawadda. It's required for her. Yes, there may be obviously cases where somebody's not feeling unwell or the husband should also be understanding and not overly insistent and there are certain contexts and moods and preliminaries and precursors that you cannot abandon. Let's just leave it at that, right? But, 
Uh, generally speaking, a woman should have an affectionate personality when it comes to her husband. And the husband should also have an affectionate personality when it comes to his wife. Either party saying that I don't have an affectionate personality is not accepted in Islam. You must submit. You must surrender. If you can't do it initially, you need to make mujahida. You have to be trained. Yes, and like I said, yes, it's you may have to takalluf and do it. You may have to just do this as sunnah. Sunnah has barakah. So if there's a wife who feels that I'm not affectionate, try to cling to your husband cheek to cheek. And she may be saying, ew, right? That's the foolish thing to say. He's your husband, right? He's your husband. And there's barakah in the sunnah. So you have to imitate the sunnah. When you imitate the sunnah, sunnah of the sahabiyyat, and your husband imitates the sunnah of the sahaba or the Prophet you will have barakah. You will have barakah in your marriage. Another thing is eating together. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that when the husband and wife eat in the home, they should eat together seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then again, that other part, and whatever you spend on your wife will be counted as spending in charity, and you will get a reward for that. And then the Prophet said, even whatever morsel you put in the mouth of your wife is also considered a charity. So what does that mean? That means to eat together another very big thing. Yesterday I stressed on something, go to sleep at the same time and sleep together. Another very, very important thing is to eat together. And in this case, it's normally the husband who is at fault. He wants to eat on the run, eat on the fly. He wants to eat at his own time. Now he even tells his wife, okay, let's eat at seven. And she gets excited, she prepares all the food, gets the kids on the table, everything is ready at seven. She goes, call them, honey, dinner is ready. He says, oh, but my screen. <laughs> He's glued to screen. I'm just coming. 7.05. 7.10. It's getting cold. Stuck on the screen. Stuck on the screen. 7.15. 7.20. I'm just coming. I'm just coming. Now she has children. Her children are going to wait. So children are eating. She's fed the children. She even hasn't eaten herself. The fine fellow shows up at 7.30 doing half an hour of just foolish surfing. Just for the sake of absolutely foolish, wasteful, idle surfing. He hurt his wife's heart. Now the wife will eat with him, but she has a downtrodden face now. And they're both eating cold food. Or if he's even worse husband, he'll get upset with her. Why is it cold? So she'll go quietly and go microwave it back up for him. And put it in front of him. And Janabi Ali, husband Saab, is eating food. Just for the sake of the screen. So hooked on the screen. It's a shame. Shame. Really, you know. I don't myself do amal on this. It's difficult for me to say it, right? And whether I need amal on this, my wife would have to give you a fatwa on that. But I can give you a fatwa. <laughs> what you should do, and I would recommend the husband and wife to do this, that people should not, obviously I'm sitting right in front of you with it, unless you really need to have a laptop, like you travel and things like that, you shouldn't have a laptop. There should be one computer in your house. And that should be in the living room. And that should have a nice big 21-inch plasma or that other one LCD monitor. And that should be right up there in the living room. And you should check all your email on that. And your wife should check all her email on that. You should do all your surfing in that in front of everyone in the family room. All the children should use all the internet they want, but in that family room on the big screen TV in front of everyone. And if you say, I can't do this, there must be some problem. If whatever you're doing on that internet and email is shut and dies, 
You should have no problem with this, but you should be happy. That, oh, you promoted me, I have 13 screen. Are you giving me 21 inch screen? Yeah? At least 21 inch. That should be your internet. No need for wireless. Just have one wired connection right there in the family room. Everybody do whatever they want over there in the family room. Take out all the wireless, take out all the laptops, remove internet from your phone. I give you a tip, wives of this ummah. Watch your husband. Right? I'm not trying to play shuck in anyone. Don't have unfounded doubts. But get the family room into them. MashaAllah. 21 inch plasma. TV. Hmm? And do all the browsing and surfing that you want. Don't be so attached to your screen that you cannot even eat together with your wife. Right? So eating together, very important. Yes, sometimes a person is busy, I can accept that. And the wife should also learn, sometimes the husband is not surfing. That was an example I gave. Sometimes the husband is really working, there's a deadline, there's something he really has to finish up. He genuinely told you, it was his genuine desire, he wanted to eat with you. And he wanted to eat with the children, and he told you seven. But he has to get this thing done, you have to also understand the male mentality. He cannot be at rest until he finishes that work. So it's his genuine work. He can't, he cannot have a sit-down, relaxed dinner. And you don't want him coming stressful either. You want him when he's relaxed. So sometimes he's not always able to accurately plan. Sometimes he tells you 7 p.m. he can't do it. You should be understanding. You should be understanding when it's genuine work. And yes, you can be reprimanding to him if it's just idle surfing. Alright? Try to eat together. If your husband has a habit like this that he's working, he tells you 7, he can't make it. The next time he tells you 7, put the food there at 7.30. Take a slight risk <laughs> that he actually shows up at 7, right? If he does no problem, he can get an extra half hour talking to the kids while you wait for dinner. You can tell him, honey, hang out with the kids, I'll get the dinner in a minute. Right? So sometimes it's for a genuine reason. So the husband then, if you ever miss that dinner appointment for a genuine reason, then you have to make it up. You have to try to make it up somehow. Alright? And certainly on weekends, or whatever, whenever you have your days off, so breakfast and lunch and before you get busy you should at least it's not necessary sometimes the working day dinner sometimes does get difficult to plan together at the very least and on weekends and that's when the husband is more often guilty of the surfing as well right so on the weekend you should have dinner together as a family say now so just even the first words of Hadith your prophet has told you our prophet has told us when the husband and wife eat in the home, they should eat together. That's word for word tajjama. When the husband and wife eat in the home, they should eat together. Muslim, you do what the Prophet says you should do. That's what Islam is? That's what Islam is? Okay. Then, another example of the shared love between the husband and wife. Once a female Sahabiya, or it may have been a female from the Tabi'in, from the Tabi'at, I don't know. Once a woman came and asked a woman in Ashram a question, that tell me what were the wonderful things that you saw in the Prophet It means, you can imagine you're so lucky you were his wife. Tell me something about him. Maybe it was a woman from the Tabi'in. Tell me something special you saw. So what happened? A woman in Ashram, she started crying. Allah Akbar In response to this question, she started crying. And she kept crying and then the sentence she came up with after that, she said, every single thing about him was amazing. Where, what should I tell? Where should I begin? Where can I end? Allah Akbar. And the understanding is that the woman was asking about his family life. 
So what does this mean? Right? It means that this is sunnah. And how many people, how many husbands can say that if their other woman was to ask their wife, that how is he as a husband? In the noble type way of asking that, right? That the, hus- that the wife would say, oh, he's the most amazing husband. Where can I begin? How can I tell you? MashaAllah, today we had one woman say that to me about her husband. So we made heartfelt dua for her husband. And MashaAllah, continue and keep him always able to be pleasing to her and ever pleasing to her. Allah Akbar. Today happened. Just 10 15 minutes ago. SubhanAllah. So then the hadith continues though. So then the woman continued, okay, tell me one, tell me one of the amazing aspects of him being a husband. And then Umin Aisha said that no, everything about him was amazing. Again, this is a response. So clearly about him being a husband. So the husband and the wife should be loving and affectionate, have mawanna and rahmah for another. Both of them must make an effort to do so. One way that there's opportunity for this is when you have an argument, this is the best way to make up. The best way to make up. This is what we call FHT. FHT. Forced hug therapy. Forced hug therapy. Yes. When you're in the fight, you should just go hug the other person. And if it's really bad, they may even claw at you. They just have to hug tighter. If it's really bad, really bad, they may claw at you. Yes. You have to just keep hugging. And same thing with the wife also. Don't be so scared of this husband. Unless there's some, you know, sinister attribute there. But normally... Uh, and I'm going to come to that as well, about this whole issue, I have to do that at some point, why abuse, right? You just know one ayah of Qur'an, you don't know the prophetic commentary of that ayah, alright? Here, so you should, one great opportunity to show that affection is when there is an argument taking place. So remember when we said yesterday that if one side is angry, the other side should keep it calm, stay cool, don't get angry back. Now we elevate that at a further level that when one side is angry, the other side should hug back. Yes? That is like throwing water on the flames. Nine out of ten times this will work. Nine out of ten times this will work. Right? It can also be in a more classical way so that if the husband is angry with the wife, the wife should grab her husband's hand and she should say to him affectionately that I don't want you to be angry with me, tell me what I can do to make it up for you. If the wife is angry with the husband, the husband should grab her hand and say to her affectionately that I don't want you to be angry with me, tell me what I can do. Take an indirect approach. Sometimes you cannot directly resolve what is going on. So say, okay, tell me something else, give me some way I can please you, I don't want you to be angry with me. This is the way to show Mubadda and Rahma. Another thing that you will see from the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah is that he used to take advice from his wife. He would accept Accept genuine mushawara when it was offered from his wife. Genuine advice and counsel was offered from his wife. Very famous incident of Sulla Hudaybiyah. What happened Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sabakah wanted to go for Umrah. Long story, but the kuffar of the Quraysh did not allow them to go. So then Sayyidina Rasulullah, he signed, he agreed to this treaty known as Sulla Hudaybiyah. Therefore they had to go back, but they had already were in the state of Ihram. So Allah subhanahu wa revealed in Quran that okay, you can break your Ihram, sacrifice the animals, Sacrifice the animals and come out of your ihram. So Sayyidina told the Sahaba to do that and he went and sat in his tent 
And then when he came out a bit later, none of the Sahaba had done it. None of the Sahaba had done it. So then when he went back to his tent, then Umar Mu'mineen said, then the Aisha radiallahu she told the Prophet what? She gave him mashra. She said that, no, he was going to slaughter his animal inside his tent. She said, no, take this animal outside and do it in front of the others. The Sahaba are lovers of Allah subhanahu wa They were feeling so sad that they couldn't do Umrah. They cannot bring themselves to take themselves out of Iram. You have to go out and do it in front of them. When they see you do it, then they will do it themselves. She gave him good advice. She was a fakiha. The ulama of fiqh say that Ummu Muin Ashir had to fakku fiddeen. She was one of the fuqahai sahaba. She was one of the greatest, first and foremost and greatest women jurists of Islam. This is an example of her tafakku. So Sayyidina he listened and he went out and he sacrificed the animal and then he had his head shaved and then when the sahaba saw that they all started doing that. Simple enough? Simple enough? So that means it's sunnah, that it means sunnah for the wife, the wife can't generally sincerely offer advice and counsel to her husband and sunnah for the husband that he should listen with an open ear and many times that advice may have heard it for him. This is a problem. Many husbands cannot take advice from them. They don't like it. They don't even listen to what she's saying. They don't like the fact that she's speaking. Who is she to advise me? This is the very wrong thing. She's one of the best people to advise you. She knows you like the back of her hand. She has seen when you slip. She has seen when you fall. She has seen when you fail. She knows what your problems are. She is the best person to advise you, to help you from falling. How can you tell her that why are you talking this is none of your business? So, Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Now let me move to this issue. Another thing Sayyidina Rasulullah said Hadith, this is word for word. La tazribu hunna. Don't you dare ever beat them. Yes, Sayyidina Rasulullah said this, right? That ayah in Qur'an is an extreme situation and that is referring to one slap. That's not referring to abuse. Even the women will understand that. I think almost every mother, definitely every Desi mother, has at least at one point given one slap to one of her children. I know most of, I think most of the men. How many of you have ever been slapped by at least once by any parent of yours? Spanked, slapped, anything. No, 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 yeah. No, no, I'm not encouraging this behavior at all. I'm not encouraging this at all. But what I'm saying is that sometimes when a person is disciplining someone, right, at the extremest level, at the extreme level, they may give one reprimanding slap, right? That's what Allah SWT said in Qur'an. That verse in Qur'an is not mentioning in any way any license to wife abuse. And there's no license in Islam for children abuse. I'm not talking about the law of the country at all, right? I know, I know. <laughs> okay. First of all, is maybe I should announce that we don't take questions in the middle uh, because it's sort of like a journey on the motorway. Uh, if you want to ask me a question, you can ask me in the break. All right. No, that's okay.
No, you're, you're absolutely correct. No, no, you're absolutely correct. And, Okay, you're absolutely correct, and surely anybody who feels that there's no benefit and there's no compulsion, anybody to come, right? Uh, in any educative effort, there are different ways to impart education. Uh, for example, universities, there are many courses that are lecture only. Sometimes there's lecture and discussion format. Sometimes there's office hours. So actually, because our time is very, at least my time in this city is extremely limited, so we organized a workshop where we give these 100% lecture sessions. And we don't say that this is the only way to impart Islamic education, neither do we say it's the best way to impart Islamic education, but we do say because this is a volunteer-free course that only those people who are willing to receive education this way should come, and somebody who is unwilling or finds this method of education unacceptable, uh, then there's no need for them to come, right? Uh, all right, so that's all. You won't be allowed to speak anymore. Because I've understood that there are a lot of questions people have in Islam, and we would love to have the time to answer all the questions. No, no, I appreciate that. I think what we'll just say, because I have no choice other than to interrupt you, because we have to sort of look at the benefit for everyone. I mean, as far as long-term learning, you will have to do that with your local scholar. No, no, it's okay. Let me. It's okay. Don't, don't, don't get angry. Don't get angry. As far as long-term benefit, you will have to have a long-term engagement with your local scholars. Me, somebody who's a visitor, you can really only have short-term intensive benefit from me. If you're saying that the local scholars don't give you time for questions, and that's something you have to take. Uh, that's something between you and them. Alright? I may even be unable to answer some of them, but also in terms of time, the structure and format of this course doesn't allow me to answer the questions. It's that simple. Unfortunately, not. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you talk to me about it in the break, right? Why don't you, and you can even ask me some of the questions during the break. But let me continue with the session. You can come to me in the break and ask a question. I'm just going to continue talking, all right? So, uh, what the Prophet said in this, so what I was talking about was the slap. Uh, this is not an issue of the social services or the police or anything like that. 
many people in England also, most likely if you ask a person in England, they used to be caning in the schools over here. So there may even be people in England who this occasional slap. But what Sayyidina Rasulullah said in the hadith, he said, La tadribu. What does that mean is that you should never ever strike your wife. So this is the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah in Amal as well. That never ever ever did he even slightly, lightly ever strike a single one of his wives. Right? So we are people who are going to follow the sunnah, Amal of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. Alright? Okay. That said, right, uh, this means that a husband should be soft. All of this was basically a commentary on what mawadda and rahmah is. So if a person has that mawadda and has that rahmah and has that softness, then they will not come to this level of having a hard or a harsh temperament. So much so that, uh, you know, Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu he actually said this, that I want to be triumphant over life by being soft. And if by being harsh is the only way that I can triumph, I would still prefer to be soft. So Sayyidina Rasulullah is emphasizing here in the city so much that how much a person should have sabr, how much a person should be soft, how much Allah SWT will give reward to a person for being like that. So the mistake sometimes a husband makes is that we give into our harshness or we give into our anger or we have a hard and harsh temperament and we should never try to seek license for that or justification for that anywhere in the deen we have to look at all of the hadith uh, that are on this topic and all of the hadith in this topic make it clear that deen of Islam and Sayyidina Rasulullah does not say that you can engage in any type of physical reprimanding uh, of uh, one's spouse alright Another thing is that Sayyidina Rasulullah has mentioned, he gave a, a, a strange example. He told a husband once that if you have sabr with your wife, then Allah SWT will give you the same reward as if you had the sabr of Sayyidina Ayyub Sayyidina Ayyub was afflicted by a terrible illness and sickness and disease in Quran and Allah SWT gave him sabr for patiently enduring that sickness and that illness. So what does it mean that yes, sometimes your wife may misbehave. Guarantee it's going to happen. It's going to happen on your end as well. She may do something that is incorrect. She may do something that is wrong, right? But you have to have sabr. You have to patiently endure that. You cannot always react and respond to that in a level of harshness. So this is what he told the man. Then once he told the female sahabia that if your husband has a flaw and a fault and a shortcoming, you should have sabr. And then he told her that you will get the reward of the sabr that Sayyidatana Asir anha, who was the wife of Fir'aun, had that she had to bear with the negative and Fir'aunic, I mean the tyrannical and harsh and hard temperament of her husband. So this is the golden rule that Sayyidina Rasulullah is teaching this Sahaba and this Sahabiyah that we should have sabr, we should have sabr because everyone in that sense Everyone is human. There's going to be some emotional shortcoming, some emotional deficiency, some emotional weakness, some breach of character that's going to take place. But if we have sabr, then that breach is contained. And when we don't have sabr, then we add fuel to the fire. Then something something can become so out of control, then the husband can get out of control. And then again, you end up in that horrific thing that we mentioned, which is known as divorce. Similar incident, but I'll just sort of skip that. Similar incident, Sayyidina Umar, one of the Tabin, came to him uh, with a problem 
uh, with his wife and he counseled her and he said to her, look, I'll read his words to you. He said, look, your wife is the one who cooks your food for you. She bakes your bed for you. She stitches your clothes for you. She's the mother of your children. She's the mother who gives milk to your children. So all of these things are what she does to you. You should be soft with her. So this is the way Sayyidina, Sayyidina Umar Abdul Masha'Allah, his Jalal is well known, right? So this is a good example of situation. It's not about who I am, right? Sayyidina Umar had his own personality. But then when he came to Deen and he submitted to Deen, now his Jalal was used within the Deen. His Ghayra, his Himma, his strength, his powerful demeanor. He wouldn't use that everywhere. So Sayyidina Umar is telling, and in fact, the incident was that Tabi was actually mentioned a really serious problem of his wife. Let's just put it that way. Genuine, shari, Islamically viewed problem of his wife. And this is how Sayyidina Umar was telling him how to deal with his wife. Right? Then another hadith uh, about this affection, Muhammad Sayyidina said that when a husband looks at his wife smilingly, and when the wife looks at the husband smilingly, then Allah Subhanahu looks at both of them smilingly. Allahu Akbar. Now what an easy way to get Allah Ta'ala to smile upon us is for husband and wife to smile upon one another. They get husband and wife to smile upon one another. So we will get all of these things. We will be able to be soft and affectionate and have muwadda and rahmah with one another if we follow the practice and teachings of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. if we have a home that is according to his practice and teachings. Then the other ayah that we did yesterday was وَآشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ And we gave you one tafsir of that yesterday. That is remember to live with them and to keep them and to be settled with them in what is called ma'roof. Yesterday we explained that in nobility and virtue and what is excellent. There's another way to understand ma'roof. And ma'roof means what is known. What does it mean what is known? So one way that you can understand this is as follows. That the deen of Islam is a deen of fitrah. The Bible said that every human being is born on the fitrah. And the fitrah is on the deen of Islam. means it's inherently human to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's inherently human to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's inherently human to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's inherently human to need prophet and prophecy. All of these things are part of our humanity. It also means that the ahkam of sharia, the laws of Islam, have been perfectly mapped to humanity and the human being has been perfectly designed for Islam. It's a complete nexus. So that means that when Allah subhanahu wa has created certain laws, duties, responsibilities, roles for the husband and the wife, this is the way Allah subhanahu has already made us already for those roles. For example, Allah subhanahu wa says in Quran, that Allah ta'ala ata kulli shay'in that he bestows everything, its creation, means he creates everything, hada, and then after that, then he guides it. He guides it as to how it should fulfill the purpose of its creation. Alright? So that is so many stories of like that. The chick knows the second it comes out from the egg, it's been guided by Allah Ta'ala how to eat. The dolphin when it's born has been guided by Allah Ta'ala to swim. What it means for our human sense is that Allah Ta'ala gave humanity their existence, their creation, and that He guided them through Wahi and Nabuwa, through sending Quran and Nabi Salam, but also through their fitra. It also means that Allah Ta'ala has created human beings in gender. Allah Ta'ala has created man and woman. 
and Allah Ta'ala has placed in the creation of man and woman separate gender attributes, separate features in each respective gender. Why? Because that is part of their fitrah, that is part of the way Allah Ta'ala created them out of His guidance to enable them to fulfill their respective gender role and responsibility that Allah Ta'ala has put in the deen of Islam. And sometimes some of us, especially in these sort of Western societies, where there's this, there's this other type of view, right? That feminism, where gender differences should be eliminated or ignored. So when we don't accept our gender identity, our gender role, then we're making, we're losing the hidayah that Allah SWT has put in our creation. So you will see, for example, first of all, men and women are made different physically. And you will see in this world that physical things that are made to be indoor can be made more light, of more light material, more delicate. And that thing which has been physically designed to be outdoors or to be exposed outdoors is made of more sturdy material, is made of more heavyweight material. So this is also a sign that because Allah SWT created the woman to by and large be more of the time indoor and created the man to be by and large more of the time outdoor. So as part of his hidayah, he created that man and woman with those abilities so that they could fulfill their proper roles. Just like that, Allah SWT has given a man and a woman different strength. Broadly speaking, well, certainly there will be certain individual women who are stronger than certain individual men, no doubt, right? President company included, right? But, averagely, overall, the average man's strength is greater than the average woman's strength. Why? This is not done by evolution. This is not done by circumstance. This was done by design, by hidayah of Allah SWT, because one of the roles of man is going to be roles that require more strength. So much so, even some people say, and I don't know enough about human anatomy uh, to say this on my own authority, but some people say that women have been given muscular strength in certain parts of their arms, which would be maybe the type of muscles that one would use in housework or work around the home. It's not like they've been deprived entirely of muscular strength or stamina. Now these are things that I'm explaining to you from a Dini perspective. These are also things you can understand from the psychologists and neuroscientists of today, whether people who work on gender or work on emotional behavior. These are things that poets and people in literature have talked about, the way women are and the way men are. This is something that many human beings have accepted and understood. So then what does that mean? That means that in order to have a successful marriage, the husband needs to remember that the wife is a woman. Now, I'm going to explain this to you what this means. And the wife has to remember the husband is a man. What does that mean? That don't think that they're like the way you are. There are certain things about you that are because you're a man and your emotion and your personality and your likes and your dislikes. And there are certain things about her that are different because she's a woman. So that means that if a man can understand what the female gender is, he can better understand his wife. If the wife can understand what, better understand what the male gender is, she will be better able to understand her husband, and then she will be better able to interrelate and interact with her husband, and he will be better able to interrelate and interact with his wife. All right. And this maybe is one of the reasons, failure to understand this is one of the reasons why people who are otherwise on Dean making ibadah, reading Qur'an, following sunnah, making dhikr, making dua, staying away from sin, even you find them, this is our observation from experience, 
even you find them being unhappily married, sometimes it's simply because their communication is not proper. The way they're communicating, the understanding, and therefore then the expectations they have of the other person isn't proper. And then that leads to disappointment and that leads to letdown. So first now we will look at some aspects from our deen and then we will then go on later on into some general aspects that perhaps one can identify from common sense. First Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he made Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam he told Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam that inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa about Adam alayhi salam he said that indeed I'm about to place a khalifa of mine on earth. Now one meaning of this is just humanity itself with that both genders but the original meaning is Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam now, Sayyidina is a man. Now, when man was placed on earth to be Khalifa on Ard, then Allah subhanahu wa created a wife from that rib of that man, لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا So, the primary function of the man was to be the Khalifa on Ard, and the primary function of the wife, Sayyidina Hawaradana, was to be his source of sukun. To be his source of sukun. Now, Sayyidina Adam was going to be a Nabi, so he was going to establish the law of Allah subhanahu on earth. And the wife was going to be a source of sukun for him. Exactly now, fast forward from the first prophet to the last prophet, Sayyidina Rasulullah is the greatest Khalifatullah fil Ard, the greatest representative of Allah's will and wish and pleasure on earth. And Ummu Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Khadijah is a source of sukun for him. When he gets that, what he goes to her, and what is she doing? What's her role? She's giving sukun. By shrouding him and by saying those kind words. So what does that mean? That the very purpose of the creation of man is slightly different from the very purpose of the creation of woman. But that doesn't mean woman is also the khalifa of Allah on earth. She is also supposed to manifest and represent the will and wish of Allah Taala on earth. Then Allah Taala in Quran al-Karim has used different words for the beauty, for the physical beauty of man and woman. So you will see, for example, in the animal world, the male lion has his own beauty, which maybe in English we can call grace. In Arabic, the word is going to be karab, karim. And other animals have their own beauty, which is called husan. How do we know this? Because when the women saw Sayyidina Yusuf, what did they say? They said, this is not, cannot be a person. This is like an angel. They said, malakun karim. Karim is the word they use. He seems to be karim. He has so much grace about him. So the word used in Quran to describe the physical beauty of a man is kareem, is a graceful, respectful, dignified beauty. And the word used in Quran to describe the beauty of the physical beauty of a woman is husn. Allah says, husn, that even if your if their beauty husn, if their husn puts you in a state of wonderment. So in Quran the handsomeness of a man is called kareem. And the beauty of a woman is called husn. So what is this? This also is a difference. This also is the difference between the nature of man and woman. That the man, his jalal is his beauty. Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi it was his taqwa that gave him beauty. It was his taqwa, his honor, his dignity, he was great. And for a woman, it's her allure and attraction and her physical beauty, it's her husn that makes her being called beautiful. That's why a man, when he wants to develop his beauty, he's supposed to train physically, right? To develop his skill, to defend the deen of Allah Taala. And a woman, when she wants to develop her beauty, well, that's husn. That's to adorn herself with beauty. It's a different type of beauty. 
Then there's a difference in the patience of, and you can say now like Allah Ta'ala has given men more physical strength, just like that Allah Ta'ala has given men averagely more emotional strength. The best example of this is that you will see in our deen, women are prohibited from joining the tatfeen of the mayat. They cannot go to the cemetery and bury the deceased. They're prohibited from going there. Why? Because the woman lacks that emotional strength. But the men are there. The men are doing it. The husband is doing it. The father is doing it. The brother is doing it. The son is doing it. The friend is doing it. Allah has given him more emotional strength. Those of you who may have ever in traditional Egypt or traditional Pakistani societies who you may have ever seen if you go to the home where somebody has passed away and it's a woman, right? Or it can be anyone. And the women are inside the house, right? And the men are waiting outside. Then all of a sudden comes the moment when the man, the deceased body is lifted up and taken out of the home, right? And then handed over to the men and the men proceed with it to place their janazah then again eventually to the graveyard. You will hear wails and shrieks and screams coming from inside that house. And at that moment, the deceased is not even being put in the earth. It's just being lifted away out of the house. And when you see the men putting that same man inside the ground, they will not be wailing and screaming and shrieking. They have their own way of grieving, if they're near one, but they are not so emotionally weak that they're going to be overcome like that. So it means that this is a great example for us to understand that overall, averagely speaking, Men have been given more emotional stamina as well than compared to women. Then some ulama also mentioned that the Allah Ta'ala's different sifat are more manifest in men and some sifat are more manifest in women. And this is very interesting when we talk about this concept of muwadda and rahmah. So that is that Allah Ta'ala has made a man a madhar of his sifat al-rahmaniyya means a manifestation of his sifat, his attribute of being al-Rahman. And a woman is the mother of the sifat, sifat al-Rahimiyyah. A woman is a manifestation of being the sifat of al-Rahim. What does that mean? What does that mean? So it means that the man has shafqat, muhabbat, he has mercy for the children. But he also has ability to have a certain jalal. So you will find in Quran, man khashiyar rahman What does it mean? That al-Rahman is the all-merciful one. But what is the feeling that the human being has for that all-merciful one, khashiyah? They're humbled and then awe. So the man has that mercy, but his mercy has some awe along with it. So that means when the husband shows mercy towards his wife, it doesn't mean he should lose his awe, shouldn't lose his ru'ab. So the wife should understand that. That the kind of softness my husband is going to show to me, the kind of mercy he's going to show to me, does it mean I should stop being respectful towards him because he's soft and merciful towards me? Just like the mu'min, man rahman still in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the woman's mercy is one that is rahim. The woman's mercy is outright complete mercy. That is, you see in Allah ta'ala Quran, al-rawful rahim. So when you have the word rahim, the word ra'uf sometimes comes with it. That is the gentle, soft, forgiving type of mercy. That is the mercy without awe. Now, Allah Ta'ala is both. He is Al-Rawf and Al-Rahman. And He is Al-Rawf and Al-Rahim. But with inside the man, He's placed that mercy and softness which still has a tinge of awe in it. Like you can see this when Tarbiyat of Allah, raising of children. When things get bad, the wife calls the husband, the father. And it doesn't mean the father doesn't have love and tenderness and mercy and compassion for the children. But he has that attribute as well. Along with his mercy, that's Al-Rahman. And the wife, 
no matter, maybe the women may think we have that, and they may try to have that, but they don't have it. They have to understand, they're Rahim. They're the sifat of, the manifestation of Allah Ta'ala's sifat of Rahim. So simply speaking, if you want to understand, Rahman refers to that mercy of Allah Ta'ala that is along with His Jalal, and Rahim refers to that mercy of Allah Ta'ala that is along with His Jamal. This is another difference between Rahman and Rahim. Then another ayah we did for you yesterday, Al-Rijal Al-Qawwamuna Al-Nisa. The Qawwam we discussed about that. One aspect of that was that because Allah Ta'ala had made the man the caretaker of the house, the manager of the house, so Allah Ta'ala has blessed a man with more of a decision-making capacity. Now it doesn't mean there are plenty of men today who second-guess themselves and who are, you know, unsure of themselves, but inside, the fitra of man is that he has been given the ability to take a decision. That's why he's Qawwam Al-Nisa. He has more of a decision-making capacity inherently than a woman has. He is more able to take risk, take risky decisions than a woman has. When that risky decision is for the betterment of their deen or even the betterment of their jaizdanya. Another aspect you can see is that Allah Subhanahu has placed inside a man such a temperament and a personality that he needs to do varied things. He cannot just do one thing all the time. He cannot just eat one thing all the time. He needs some change. He needs something different. If you give him just one thing to do, he will get bored. So some people say, I'm not happy at work, I'm frustrated. Why? Because it's the same old, same old. I'm doing the same old thing for years. So that's a frustration for them. Whereas women aren't that way at all. So even in the working world, you see, that's why women can be a secretary. The same thing every day for 20 years, no problem. A woman can be a nurse. The doctor is doing all types of interesting things. The nurse is doing the same, dial this way, dial that way, taking temperature, taking blood pressure, the same thing all the time. And so Allah has given her that sifat. Whether it's sewing, whether it's knitting jerseys, some, I remember one of our aunts, she would just sit there and just knitting all the time. Same, knitting, 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 knitting. I thought this is istikamat. Now this is good news for the women, that this gives them istikamat, we have noticed in ibadah. Women, especially in our line of zuhud and tazkiyah, we see that they make more steady and steadfast ibadah than the men. You can sometimes, there's some women, that you tell them, okay, they hear something. So they hear, Sayyidina Sallallahu said, recite surah both before you sleep. They do it every night, they do it for years. They hear about the hajjud, and the ones who are blessed to do it, you find women who can say, do it every, doing it every night for years, years. Maybe some of us still have some traditional grandmothers like that in our home that for 40 years they've recited Yaseen every day after Fajr. For 30 years they've prayed the Hajjur. That's the way a woman is. Right? So this is a good thing. This is a good thing for her. In terms of her, Ibadah to have more istikamat. They have more constancy. A woman can do the same thing every day for days, for years. And a man has less of that ability. Less of that ability. Alright? Similarly, if you want to look at control over emotion. A man has been given more self-control. So, for example, Sahaba Ikram after Fatih Makkah, certainly Sayyidina Rasulullah was Rahmatullah But the Sahaba Ikram, they controlled themselves when they saw that these kufar living in our own homes. They occupied our homes. They kicked us out of when we migrated to Minar. But they controlled themselves. They were okay. They were able to control. Where sometimes a woman can be more vindictive that way. It's difficult for her to control. When somebody does something bad to her, she gets upset. She says, I don't want to see this person ever again. And the husband is saying, look, it's okay, you can forgive her, let's go back, we should visit them. And she says, no. 
person. I never want to see that person again. I wish that person was not alive on the face of this earth. Takes it to that level, right? And the man is saying, let's go, it's okay, nothing happened, things will be fine, make up with her, learn to forget. Again, not, it's not always like this. This is a woman in progress. And this is a man who's made progress. You may have the opposite. You may have a woman who has done her tazkiyah, done her mudayla, and she will also come onto the deen. So this is why some of the muhaddithin have said that when Sayyidina Rasulullah said in hadith that a woman is naqis al-aqab. Naqis al-aqab doesn't mean she's less intelligent in that sense. Less ability to be educated, less able to be intelligent, less able to be a PhD. No, naqis al-aqab meant that when it comes between her mind and her emotions, relative to her emotions, her mind is weaker. Means emotions can overcome her mind. Whereas the man is not like that. He can it doesn't lose his sense as quickly as a woman. That's a nukus. It means that there's a deficiency in her akal, not in her intelligence. But she is more prone to becoming overwhelmed by emotions and losing her senses, and a man is less prone to doing so. Again, it doesn't mean every woman is like this. There may be women who are more deliberative, who are more sensible, but as an average feature in their gender. Similarly, Allah Subhanahu has given a man more ghayra, more ghayra. So, this, when Allah Subhanahu talks about the punishment for theft, Allah says, First, he mentions the male thief and then the female thief. Why? Because the man, it's a very daring, bold act to steal. To go out there and then to risk yourself and steal somebody else's property or wealth. It's an act of daring. So, men are more daring to hear the zikr of the mention of the male thief comes first. But as far as the act of zina, azaniyatu wazani. When Allah Taala mentioned the sin of zina, He mentioned first the female who does zina, and then the male who does zina. Why? Because the woman has been given more haya inherently. Therefore, for her to do zina is a gross crime, is an even worse crime. Now, I'm talking the punishment is the same, but a woman has been given more inherent haya. So, for a woman to do this is a much bigger violation. And I think people know that, right? And men walk around in shorts in their home and they have, we have even, I'm not talking haram, but in, just in a general sense, men have less haya, women have more haya. So for that crime, then Allah Ta'ala mentioned her first. So difference, difference. Another example is that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala has given man greater strength sometimes to do ibadah. For example, at tawaf, because the man has greater physical strength. Many times when people, couples go for umrah and hajj, Many times the man is able to do more tawaf. So what does Allah compensate the woman with? Or he's able to go to the masjid for jama'ah and come back every day walking and walking. So Allah compensated the woman with khidmah. That she can do more khidmah. So she is the one attending to the needs of the family on Umran Hajj. So she gets her sawab that way. So she has been given this attribute. The man has been given that attribute. So there are different features, different attributes. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah said in hadith that that woman who fulfills her ibadat and dies in such a state that she did khidmat of her husband so much that her husband is pleased with her, then that woman will be able to enter Jannah through any door that she wants. So what does it mean, Shahid? The hadith says, Farad ibadah. means it's not for her after basic ibadah, then she makes progress through khidmat. And for the man after basic ibadah, he makes progress through further ibadah and mujahada. So different roles, different attributes, different emotional things. Another example is that sabr and sugar. So in one's life, a man has to have more sugar 
and a woman has to have more sabr because the man is the one who is earning. The man is the one, by and large, who is earning the bounties. So he has been given more of an attribute of shukr. So this is why Sayyidina Rasulullah said about himself, that I am the deeply grateful and appreciative servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah has used this word about other anbiya in Quran al-Kareem. And a woman needs to have more sabr because sometimes she will be faced in a situation of when the husband is appointed over her, the father is appointed over her, or she has to have more sabr because she will have to do, you know, uh, sabr can also mean she has to have more strength. So for example, when the man travels, so the man can wear very loose and flowing clothing and he can wear light and, you know, clothing, but the woman, she has to travel in her full that requires more sabr to travel, especially in the hot Arabian desert, when you're clothed from head to toe and concealing everything other than your eyes and your face and your hands requires more sabr. So a woman has been given that ability. And she can do that. If you've made a man travel like that, you may find it more difficult to travel like that. Also, in terms of now bringing more even closer to our topic, in terms of commitment and goals, Allah Taala has given a man the temperament that he's always goal-oriented. He needs a goal, an objective, that he's seeking it, attaining it, achieving it, fulfilling it. So men have more and more of a goal-oriented life. And you will find that those men who don't have that, right, then they feel, hmm, they have inferiority complex. They have negative thoughts about themselves. They're unsure about themselves. So a man has a more goal-oriented life. There are many stories, best story that you can understand is the Muhammadin, that they had a goal in front of them which is to gather and compile the hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah once they set that goal for themselves, Allahu Akbar traveling the world for even one hadith traveling the world for even one level of sanad and one hadith, dedicating their entire lives, days and nights to learning and studying and spreading the hadith, so it, this work was taken from the men women are doing riwayah of hadith and many female narrators but the work of Tadween Hadith, gathering, compiling, sifting the forge from the real Hadith, Allah took that work from the male ulama because the men have this notion of being goal-oriented. The woman is relationship-oriented. The woman is relationship-oriented. The man is goal-oriented. So for the woman, it's about the family. It's about being on good terms with her relatives. She's more relationship-oriented. This we'll talk about a little bit more later on. What does this mean that the woman is relationship-oriented? You will even find, uh, you know, many, many differences. In clothing, a man can wear a uniform every day, he doesn't feel bad about it. The woman wants to have so many different types of clothes and colors and designs. In repair and maintenance, a woman does preventive repair and maintenance, and man does breakdown repair and maintenance. Something breaks down, he repairs and maintains it. woman's job is preventive maintenance, her job is to make sure everything is oiled smoothly and going well so that it doesn't break down in the first place. There are differences. Differences in their temperament. Differences in their gender. A man is more independent. He's more territorial like the male lion. He wants to have independent control over his territory. He roars at another lion who comes. Female lion, she wants codependence. She wants to share. Right? So the man wants what? That I should run the affairs on my own. And the woman wants that we should run the affairs together. These are differences. Now when you see, now I'm bringing it closer to home. When you realize that this is the way men and women are, you'll be able to communicate with one another better. The man wants to just stay out of it. Leave me alone. Just don't get involved. Let me handle it. Right? And he views it as a threat. 
Why is she getting involved? So you should understand that she is not questioning his authority, not questioning his ability, but she's a woman. That's the way women are. Women feel that it should be done together. He's not personally attacking you. Okay, the man, when he tells his wife to stay out of it, the woman shouldn't feel that, oh, he doesn't love me, he doesn't value me. It's not like that. He's a man. That's the way men are. They want to do things on their own. He's not in any way being mean to you. It's not because he doesn't love you, he doesn't value you. So now you see when we understand the differences in husband and wife, by understanding the differences between the male and female gender, that will also help us in becoming more, having a better relationship. Another example is a man, simply by being a man, is less likely to open up and share. And a woman is much more sharing. Right? So now, if the woman, what happens is the wife, she, the husband comes over, she shares everything. And then she asks him, what happened at work? He's like, yeah, nothing much. Now she thinks he's not interested in me, he doesn't like me, he's not happy with me. No, he's a man. <laughs> this is the way the man talks. He doesn't open up like that. There's nothing personal. There's nothing wrong in the marriage. The husband is a man. Right? And if the husband feels that, okay, she's always talking to me all the time, always wanting to tell me everything, I keep trying to tell him, look, it's okay, it's fine, you just do it. You just, you just take care of it. You don't need to involve me. Then he comes back and she hasn't done it. He says, no, I wanted to ask you, though. I says, oh, I wanted to ask you this, I wanted to ask you that. He's like, what's the matter? I just told you to do it, get it done. So the husband should understand she's not like you. She doesn't operate independently. She's not an independent operator. Even if you told her that, just get it done, she's not going to do it. She's going to involve you. She likes doing things together. <laughs> That's the way she is. She's a woman. Right? She can't get angry at her over that. And so the husband says, what's the matter with you? Just get, I told you to get it done. Why don't you get it done? You know, I'm going to wait another day for it. But she's not going to. She's just, That's how she is. You want something done that directly, you're going to have to do it yourself. <laughs> you have to do it yourself. That's the way she is. So when now you get the idea that when we understand... Right, the way men and women are, uh, just in terms of their gender, uh, you know, we'll understand how the husband and wife can relate with another. Actually, when I said women are relationship oriented, there's one thing. Husband is very good at business relationships. He's not good at family relationships because he's a man. Woman, normally not good at business relationships. That's the almost, this is not such a big deal for you as you think it was. <laughs> First of all, she was working before Islam. There's no Islamic relevance. She was working before Islam. She did not work after Sayyidina Rasulullah was a Nabi. So the fact that Sayyidina Khadirina worked has no Islamic relevance whatsoever. Secondly, the reason even before Islam, why did she hire him? Because she realized this is not the work of a woman. It's not my job to be traveling in these trade caravans and dealing with men. Even before Islam, she realized that. So this works against you. Women love to quote the example of Khadirina she worked. That's not an example for you. Can you find any other Mahatul Mu'mineen who worked? Then they get silent. There'll be absolute pin drop silence in answer to that question. Fair. So the man can handle the business relationships better and the woman can handle the family. Again, obviously there are some exceptions. There may be some Gujarati family who has seven daughters and one of them he decides to make like his son. <laughs> May he treats, he trains her in such business dealings that she ends up getting that skill, but it's an acquired skill. It's not in her fitra as a woman. It's an acquired skill. It's not in her fitra as a woman. We're talking about the fitra of man and woman. That's called the inherent gender. 
That's why Allah Ta'ala then in ahkam of sharia has also made differences. There are differences in the way the men and women pray. There are differences in the posture of sanza of a man and woman. All the four mazahib and all of the muhaddisin agree that the posture of a woman in prayer is different from that of a man. Including Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim al they also agree that the posture of a woman is different. We have literature on this that people are interested. Right? Because a woman is different from a man. A woman is different from a man. Right? He can make his talaw out loud. People can hear that. She cannot make her talaw out loud. People, other people from opposite gender are not allowed to hear that. So many different rules in Sharia. That would be a whole long, that would go beyond our topic. But that could be a whole topic. Understanding gender difference. Inherent, intrinsic, fitna gender differences. Just by looking at the different ahkam and sharia and the way Allah subhanahu wa has made different things. So what does this mean then? This means that we have to understand the gender temperament. So the husband should understand that the way his wife will look at things and do things will always be the way that a woman does that. And the wife has to understand the way her husband will look at and do things is the way a husband will do that. When we are able to understand one another's temperament better, one another's fitra better, then we will be able to communicate with one another better. We will be able to relate with one another better. So inshallah then after the break, so when we resume, which is again at 2.15, we will take a break now, almost an hour for Zohar Salah and lunch. And then we will resume. And then we will now go real deep into this issue in terms of the spouse and marital relationship what are those gender differences and different needs of each gender so that we can each understand the other better and become a husband and wife thereby? Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.